Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of In Kyle's Convo. And as you can see, look at the background. There's literally my logo right there. That's so cool. I did today's guest, honestly, is, is I think somebody that like I definitely can say that we're all going to learn from, to be honest with you. Anybody that wants to be in um even anybody that doesn't even want to be in media, just in general, I think people are going to learn from it's a, and I'm sure you'll all know him from as you can see from his is jumper and I'm even without looking like you'll know who it is it's sean green how are you doing mate good thank you hey when's this guy going to come on that you're going to learn from now where, where is he i guess coming on in 10 minutes after <laughs> say, is he coming on up is he coming on after me <laughs> yeah kyle, but, thanks for hey kyle thanks for having me on your show i really appreciate it thank you so much oh it's it's my pleasure yeah I'm so it's so so glad to have you on and get you on but now with you being um you know, we'll obviously go into your, your history a little bit in a, in a second, but as, as as you said yourself, and as I already knew, you're literally one of the pioneers of media and coaching and football, literally. So what what made, back then, what made you want to get involved? Obviously, because there wasn't anything there, but was there something else that wanted to make you get involved in this industry? Well, I've always been interested in what's next in football coaching, you know, instead of just instead of surrounding myself against around the same things and i've always been curious particularly about technology mm. and when we go back decades when the inter before the internet started really um i was working uh i was publishing books that were sold world worldwide um i actually designed the first ever cd-rom soccer now cd-rom was huge when they hit the market you know instead yeah. of floppy disk and it was a series of uh, stuff I put out, CD-ROMs called Soccer Made Easy. And uh, the biggest challenge was how do we illustrate soccer in this new medium? You know, how, how, do, how do we teach soccer in this new medium? It was, it was very, very raw in the beginning um, in terms of bandwidth. The bandwidth was very low on the internet. Um, you know, you had to stick your cable into the telephone wire. It all came through the telephone wire, not cable. And uh, it was very slow, but um, I, I started to design a program which digitized soccer players so I could create animation. So I actually first I created the first animation, soccer drills. Mm -hmm. We put it on CD-ROMs and we distributed it internationally. And, you know, once every week I'd go to the post office with about 100 uh, CD-ROMs in my hand, Kyle. Mm -hmm. and, and stick them, you know, to Brazil, to Africa, to England, all around the U.S. And uh, I, I thought it's got to be a better way because what I was dealing with was atoms. I was dealing with you had to physically make a CD-ROM. Uh, you had to get it made. You had to package it. You had to store it. And then you had to take it to the post office. Then you had to send it abroad. And, and you had customs to pay for and all these different things. It's got to be a better way. And so when the bandwidth changed and it become uh, better bandwidth on the internet, uh, then I moved all my content onto a website called soccerclinics.com, which was the first website in the world uh, to teach soccer. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's been on ever since. It was 1997 on February the 6th. I launched it mm -hmm. and it's reached millions of coaches all over the world. And I'm, I know it's inspired lots of people to create their own websites mm. and, uh, and design them and teach them. And now, you know, there's probably tens or maybe maybe hundreds of thousands of websites out now for teaching soccer. 
Yeah, the, I think with, you know, again, it is, it is, it's one of those things that, you know, you literally found the niche and then progressed from there rather than doing what, you know, a lot of people doing, they try and join the niche. You, you started it, effectively, you started it. And it's probably funny because you, 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 you can, I can almost guarantee you'll actually see people that were in, that are doing effectively what you're doing, trying to join your niche today. I'm sure there's like tons of people you can probably name and things like that, but what was the, the, I know, I, I know you've said that there wasn't like, um, there was no websites, there was nothing going, but what was the other thing that kind of pushed you into being this? Was there something else? Like, are, were you a football player yourself? So, and you felt coaching could be upgraded. You're like, I could coach, I could do this. Or was there another, another kind of thing? Well, I came from a great club in England, a uh, youth club in England called Wars End Boys Club, which Wars End Boys Club would probably be premier youth soccer club in England. Uh, back then, there was really no academies system and they're as good as any academy team in the country. Um, for example, the players that I played with when I was there was uh, Steve Bruce, mm-hmm. who was man- recent manager at Newcastle United. He was in the same team, he played in our team. He was a year younger than us, but he played up in our team. Peter Beardsley mm-hmm. uh, was there at the club. Uh, Alan Shearer was at the club. So it gives us some idea of the quality of the standard of the, the club itself. And I got into coaching at 16. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to, and you at 16, I wanted to be a coach uh, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there wasn't many full time jobs going for 16 year old coaches. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up working in the shipyards uh, in, in Wall's End in Newcastle. I was went into shipbuilding. I was a marine fitter and turner. I don't know if you know what that is. No, and, no, uh, not a clue. <laughs> uh, basically, we, we built ships, we built big oil, oil tankers and the, you know, dirty overalls on every day, starting at you know, 6.30 in the morning, getting home at 5. And, and uh, it was a three-year apprenticeship. I finished my apprenticeship and I said, I can't do this the rest of my life. There's no way, you know. I wanted to be a pro soccer. I wasn't good enough. At the age of 18, I went and played semi-professional in, in the Northern League in England. Uh, but I got an opportunity. Uh, my high school coach, who was my mentor, still to this day the best coach I've ever seen in football around the world, um, Talked to me about going to America to work at a soccer camp. And back then, now it seems, you know, mainstream. Back then, it wasn't. There was not many people going out to the States, going out there for the summer to work at a camp. Mm. I worked at a camp there, and the coach loved me. And uh, he offered me a job as an assistant coach at Brown University. And Brown University is an Ivy League school, which is probably, to draw some comparison of what the school was like, it's probably Cambridge or Oxford University in England. Top academic school, unbelievable facilities. Facilities like a pro club. Um, and I quit my job after I had finished my apprenticeship and went to America and I've been there ever since. Mm. What was the was it is it was it easier then to get to the States than it is now? I know that obviously there is soccer. Well, I've actually had people on that have been to the States and um, you know, done various different camps and things like that, but is it still as easy to to do that nowadays than it was then? Or what's the what's it like now? I think it's easier now simply because there are more, you know, expats over here in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came out in the States, I didn't know any, any anybody from England. Mm-hmm. In the camp I worked at, I was, I was the only English person there. The school I was at, I was the only English coach or English player. Uh, and now these, it's, it's, it's a cottage industry now compared to what it used to be back then, the camp business, 
it's you know very fruitful business and uh, big businesses uh, in some parts of America, and they run it like that. They bring in you know a couple hundred coaches every summer from the UK to mm-hmm. go and work at the camps, and then these kids, these coaches live with families and don't get paid much to start off with, but it opens the door for them to maybe you know pursue a coaching career somewhere else in the states. But the big difference was that. Look, for me, for me to get a career in professional coaching in England, you know, this it's very, very difficult. You've got to go through a certain system, you know, and often it's who you know and you know, who, who you know at the club and different situations. But in the U.S., I think they uh, respect coaching at that time more than they did in England. England was going through a phase at the time. So England was not actually sold about the whole idea of coaching when coaching first started. When the FA started running courses, I don't know if you know that. Um, when they first started certifying coaches in England, uh, a lot of people uh, were very dismissive of it because they think, "Hey, look at, don't you know why are you coaching these kids? You know, just let them play. You don't need to coach them." And there was a big pushback on coaches until obviously you know they got better and better and better and they proved themselves why it's important need for coaches. But in the US. It's in their culture, basketball, football, baseball, youth leagues. You can go to a youth game, watching uh, a youth baseball game, and there might be a couple hundred parents there, you know, on the sidelines, two, three hundred people there, crowds watching these youth games. Mm. The basketball team where I, where, where I work, it's a school next to us called the University of Connecticut. Their women's basketball team, Kyle, uh, for their first practice of the season, not a game, not a friendly, just for them in the gym, opening up the season on the first training session, 16,000 fans showed up. Jesus Christ. Just to watch them practice. Oh, they pack the place out like pro teams, you know. Yeah, some of these football stadiums is, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 fans of games. Yeah, I was waiting. It's like, Barcelona. it's like Barcelona. Yeah, there is. It's literally as more than some Scottish teams get. That's the thing. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I've always said to people as well that if you're and I have had coaches on before and the other as in now nowadays, obviously, and uh, they've said the same thing. They're like a lot of them have seemed to be going on about um, either going to you know America, Slovakia, Switzerland, or something that's not the UK because there seems to be more. I don't know, obviously, but just from the outset looking in there seems to be more opportunities for coaches in different countries like as you're saying in here it's kind of like who you know where you go through and all this sort of stuff but and it seems to be that you can get a bigger reach when you go to the states for example exactly like what you said with the fans it's yeah it's it's crazy it's crazy you think do you think Kyle that's exclusive I haven't been back to the UK in about 15 years I plan to go back in July and, and visit and do some coaching to see family take soccer coach tv to the uk in july but let me ask you something i know that uh, a few years a few years ago maybe in, over 10 years ago maybe longer that in dublin they had a massive problem it was it like a mass exodus of young talented smart people who graduate in high school and going to the us and colleges in different countries uh, because they couldn't afford to pay for college mm. uh, at that point i think they were charging you know quite a bit for them to extend it, but to get further educated. And so um, these young, talented academic students were going to the US to pursue 
opportunities there with businesses and and and, and the college the college route mm-hmm. until uh, I think in Dublin they decided or the island decided to give them free education. If you got a certain amount of grades in high school, you would go to college for free, mm-hmm. and, and that was to try and keep the talent pool, you know, within Dublin, not lose. That's their future right there. Mm-hmm. So, do you think it's limited to soccer? I mean, do you see people? in all different industries trying to get out of the country or, or not? I think when, when they get the experience, yeah. I think it's if you if you feel, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of opportunities over here, especially when it, when it comes to media and radio and stuff like that, there's a lot of opportunities over here. There's a lot, there's a lot of, just to get into the, my, you know, brutally honest opinion is, you know, obviously the BBC talk sport, there's huge companies and then football clubs, you can go to all the football clubs and things like that. Or even if you want to be a teacher, there is, but it comes down to the opportunity of like, when you will talk, obviously the States, cause you know, you're in the States. And I think that one, the money's better for everything. Um, the way of life, I think, from the UK and that over here, from the outset anyway, obviously I've never I've never been to the States of that, but from the outset, it, from what I've heard from people, the like, way of life's actually kind of better over there. And But the problem with things over here is that, um, you know, the, the again, it comes down to the money situation and that as well. But the opportunities, I feel there's, there's obviously opportunities there, like I said, but I don't feel there is as much opportunity to get in all industries than there is in the States, you know, Australia. I, 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 I think that might be down to just sheer volume, the size of the United States, 360 million people compared to what, how many, six, how many people? 60 million in the UK or? Well, there's only like five and a half million in Scotland. This is yeah. the thing. This was the, it's, there's not, the funding for that isn't actually there anyway. It's crazy. You know, it's a big country, you know, Uh, make no mistake. I mean, there is some absolutely phenomenal places that in America have been to witness some absolutely incredible places that, you you know, you look on TV, you see it on TV, you say, man, it's unbelievable. It's real. But there are also some really tough neighborhoods and uh, some bad areas, too, in many, many major cities. And uh, I think it's just a scope and size of how big America is, multiply that by how many opportunities, much more opportunities. Wait, and, uh, sorry, can we just... You see it you, you, uh, on a TV, you see it on a TV, it's glamorized. I think there's a place in this country for everybody who works hard, shows ambition, has a dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely possible here in the United States, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure uh, that, that those skills are transferable to other countries, but there are just more, a lot of, there are so many opportunities here um, in the US is undoubtedly, undoubtedly sure. Yeah, I think I think as well as like it's like um, for if you have, we'll talk, obviously we'll take away like we'll take away you know the past. I would I would say like the past like four years maybe right. We'll just form a way form a way to say it is that in the states being a you know being um kind of like following your dream, like being a YouTuber or like being involved in, in our websites has always been like, there's always kind of been not looked on as like, obviously people are like, what are you doing? What is even is that? But like even over here, it's over in the States, it's kind of been looked at as like, okay, you want to be a YouTuber? Okay, go and do that. Like, go and do YouTube, go and do this. And over here, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know if you should do that. You should get the nine to five. But I feel like it's been accepted for longer to be involved in like 
media and be a football player and all this sort of stuff in different countries and it is to an extent obviously than it is to be in the UK if you get what I mean yeah I'm not, I'm not sure about that I think that um that's a good point that you make I've never looked at it that way I just think that uh, look at the great thing about social media is that one it doesn't matter where you're on the planet you know you can be successful if you've got enough drive if you're consistent mm. enough got talent if you haven't got talent you can still be successful depends what you what you're selling online mm-hmm. so i think it's honestly i think it's one of the biggest levelers that there's been you can create your own movie you know that some of the top movies being made right now are being made on iphones mm-hmm. you know and yeah. look at this there's seven and a half billion people on this planet and and uh, everybody knows something we don't kyle mm-hmm. you know Everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got something to say, which is important. And so I think it's a great medium for people to express themselves, to express their opinions, express their ideas, to uh, educate people in all different areas. I just think it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, equalizer in terms of the monopoly that some of these big you know, media companies have had in the past and uh, controlling the narrative of everything. Uh, and now we have a say. We have a say in what the narrative is to a certain extent. We have a say about the content. And what interests me is maybe where, where's this heading? You know, it, it's been so rapid uh, over a short period of time. Over the last couple of decades, it's, it's exploded in terms of this, uh, this media that we have accessible to us in our hands, at our fingertips 24-7. I mean, where does it end? Does it start curving down? This is just the start of it. How do we envision it in 10 years? What is football, from my specific point of view, is what is football's coaching perspective on the future of coaching via this kind of technology over the next five, six, seven decades? Mm. Now, what, are the, what, are, what, are, what are the young players, grandkids, what, how are they going to be dealing with media? How is it going to be different? How do we educate players? And mm. um, I think there's got there's so many opportunities out there, especially with the metaverse or, or in virtual reality. I think virtual reality has a great place to play in the education of coaches and players worldwide if it's used wisely. Yeah, that's I've it's fascinated me as well. It's like for for example, say um, I have a lot of friends that are like personal trainers and things like that, and they found it like so hard to get a job, so they just kind of. What took took a step back a little bit, but then created their own YouTube channel, created their own social media presence, and like ended up teaching and getting coaches and teaching people that way. So I feel like now you can kind of, you know, it it, it blows up. To be honest, to be a hundred percent honest, like the way the way YouTube is and how you can actually like, as you're saying, and perfect example yourself. You know what I mean? Literally coaching people, literally teaching people, helping people, but to do that on the scale that you were necessarily doing that on and are doing it on, it would be harder if you didn't have like the website, the TV and things like that. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't it'd be possible, but it'd be a lot harder if, if you get where I'm coming from. Well, I wouldn't recommend that anybody quit their full-time job if that's been the mortgage or the rent and no, food no, no, just say, the next day I'm going to be a, a YouTuber because you know, you've got to work hard to make money on YouTube and, and, and you've got to be absolutely consistent on a daily if not weekly basis, you have to be consistent as a content provider. Because the moment you put take your foot off the gas, a couple of weeks, three weeks, you can see your profit margin plummet 
And uh, so you work so hard to, to gain a revenue stream, but you can lose it like that. Um, that's what's pretty frightening about YouTube. And, uh, but, you know, there's so many other platforms. I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, all these different platforms. And you take your content and, and you diversify it and you chop it up and you put it, you put it on different channels. But, you know, um, my suggestion for anybody who's interested in doing something like this, number one, um, do it because you have an incredible passion to do it. Yeah. Not do it because you want to be famous, you want to make money, because the chances are you're probably not. It's not going to happen. Mm. Not that I can, but it's going to take work and endurance and passion beyond what you can imagine right now to make any kind of full-time living out of it. Mm. Um, but first of all, be passionate about what you do. Um, because if you're passionate, you can convince people. You know, it's real. You can't fake it. Now, for me, um, I would still, do, even though we've got, it's probably the biggest soccer coaching website in the world, Soccer Coach TV, I would still do it if I had three people, three subscribers. Because mm -hmm. I really don't do it, Kyle, for, it's great I'm helping coaches. That is my mission to help coaches, to help players. But I do it because I, I, I just find it interesting. Yeah. And I think that, when you go through life that if you can pursue things that you're just interested in personally, mm. um, then you, you're blessed. You're blessed. Rather than pursuing your life or living your life, doing something every day that you want, you have no interest in, no passion in, no love for, and you see no future in it. Uh, but for me, talking to a coach in Africa, talking to a coach in Pakistan or India and helping them, uh, I've got follow my third, third third biggest audience online is from India, and you know I'm, I'll talk with coaches all over the world like this one on one, not in a podcast show. They'll call me up and we'll sit and chat. And I was talking with a team in uh, Uganda last year. I had to get up three o'clock in the morning with the time difference, and the whole team, Kyle, was on on camera, and they had a poster of Soccer Coach TV and. And uh, none of the kids had boots on, all bare feet, right? Mm -hmm. The dirt field. Mm -hmm. They used milk cartons as cones, two sticks as goals. And to, for the sidelines, what they do is they gather the leaves, that, the dried leaves that fell from the trees, and they mark sidelines off the field. And, uh, you know, the coach is standing there. And he's got a $1,000 computer in his hand and an iPhone, the irony of it all. Mm -hmm. And he's doing my drills with his team and I'm talking to his team. It's just, a, it, it, it's crazy. Do you ever like, um, do you ever think about, you know, just, just a, a sideline, to be honest, I think it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this or your uh, idea, sorry. Do you ever think of like, you know, what happens if you hadn't done this? Like, I know it's very like, is, is it, I think it's a good bit to interject it, is what happens if you hadn't started Soccer Coach TV or any other websites that we'll obviously get into in, in later on? What, what would, was there anything that you were like, I would rather do, not I would rather, but I would be doing this? Or, you know, what happens if you hadn't created like the amazing behemoth I would say you have created? Well, if I hadn't left Walls and Shipyards, I probably would have been unemployed by now. But, uh, <laughs> the, um, you know, I wanted to seek a job as a professional soccer player. That was never going to happen. I was, I was a little bit short in making it pro. Um, 
My other passion, which I would have pursued vigorously, I think, as much as I've pursued soccer, would have been photography and, and film and editing. I love shooting film. I love editing. I love the, all that technology. I've always been embraced in that. So here's the thing about Soccer Coach TV, and I tell young coaches this too, and, um, if they're interested in getting this area. I see these young coaches come into the game at age 20, 25, even 30 years of age, and they're all want to get the UEFA Pro license, they want to do this, they want to do that, they want to be certified. You've got, you know, they want to learn everything about tactics, they study Liverpool, Man City, Barcelona, fitness, speed and agility, they want to get into strength training, nutrition, they talk about all these things uh, to be knowledgeable in all these areas. Mm. And, and I encourage them, I tell them, look, you better be really savvy, just as savvy, and know more about uh, technology in social media than tactics. And that might sound a little bit stupid, but it's not. Because listen, if you're going to either have a full-time job as a professional coach, unless you're making big, big bucks, mm-hmm. most coaches in the game of soccer worldwide need a side hustle, have a full-time job and coach part-time, right? Um, and they do, or they do it voluntarily, or they run their own camps or in the United States clinics and they make extra money doing this. Uh, and when they do that, Kyle, look, if I'm doing a soccer camp and I need to promote it, uh, back in the day, you stuck a pamphlet and some envelopes on a stamp. You don't do that anymore. You get on social media and you market it. Mm. So who's going to do it if, if you're not a student now, if you're not knowledgeable now? Mm. So, for example, let's just say that I'm a soccer coach, I'm a local coach, coaching a semi-professional team, but I'm going to do some camps on the side and make an extra 20, 30 grand a year in that business. How do I market it? I come to you. You're the web designer. Okay, Kyle, I need a website. I'm doing these soccer camps. Okay, what does it look like? i got to sit down and explain to you how I want this website to look. What images are the best images to use? Because I'm seeing it through a coach's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm taking all this time on your developing this program, whether it be an app, a website, whatever it is. And uh, time is money. I'll have to pay you. Mm. So I develop all my own websites. I do all the coding. I do all the development of the site, image, images, all the stuff. We take our own photographs for the most part, video for it. I do all my own promotion. I do more marketing. I do more thumbnails. I do everything. I do my own editing. So when I do a video for my YouTube channel, there's a lot of preparation. If it's a practice session I do for two hours, prepared for two to three hours. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Um, I've got to make sure that the camera person's got all the equipment, got the right things that we need. We've got to focus in on the conditions. Is it going to be windy? Is it going to be raining? If it's raining, how, do we have the protection for the camera? All these kind of things go into it. Uh, execute my topic that I'm teaching for the YouTube channel. Here's a big difference about me um, rather than me coaching just a, a regular session Mm. than coaching on camera it's a big difference okay Mm. and um normally when you're a coach and you go and coach the team on the field you're entirely focused on the players in front of you okay those 15 guys in front of you or 20 players in front of you retention is 100 percent now a long time ago I, i come to realization i'm not coaching these kids only i'm coaching if you're watching my channel i'm coaching you too mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i have to be mindful of that 
For example, if you were a young coach and you wanted to watch an experienced coach work with players, do you want to sit up in the stands, you know, 100 yards away, looking down on me on the field with the players, or do you want to be standing right next to my shoulder? Right next to your shoulder, yeah. Right. And so that's what I do. Mm. When I do my videos, it's very intimate. It's very close. You hear me talking on personal level with the players. You hear me challenging. You hear me, you know, kicking their butt. You see, you see my sense of humor when it's need to be used, and I'm really firm when I need to be firm. Young coaches see that as an example, and there's very few for all the content that's out there. Mm-hmm. There's very, very few, very few, and I'm talking about probably a handful of people who do that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think a lot of coaches maybe afraid is too strong of a word, but are reluctant to put themselves out there and let them be judged or criticized or assessed by the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing you taking a team on the field on your own, nobody's watching you in terms of judging you much, but when everybody can post anything about your videos and be critical or be supportive, you open yourself up as a coach. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you know, coaches like what I do. Uh, they like my style. It's, I think it's motivational, it's inspirational. I try to be very creative on the stuff that I do, create new content all the time, not repeating the same thing. Uh, but I said, uh, with the intimacy, with the camera right here, right next to me when I'm coaching and talking with players, uh, I think my audience and my fans uh, feel that they know me, mm. you know? And uh, this past summer, we went on a tour to uh, Puerto Rico, uh, San Juan, and uh, Ponce, and then we went to Barbados coaching out there. And uh, a few other places. We're in West Palm Beach in Florida and, and York, Pennsylvania. Uh, we had a group, we were on the road for about six weeks filming for Soccer Coach TV. Uh, but we did another side of it. We also filmed a lot of footage of, of me on the island, talking about the culture, talking about the people there. So we extended it, Kyle, more than just football. Mm. So how do they, what's the culture like, the football culture like in Puerto Rico? You know, what are the kind of facilities that they, these kids are working with uh, mm-hmm. every single day. Uh, what's their reaction to these facilities? Um, you know, what kind of food do they eat? You know, what do they do for fun? So it was just really interesting. And, and a lot of the fans said, look, this is great to see another side of you on a personal level. And um, I enjoy it. You know, we, we are planning on going to the UK, as I said, uh, we're going in July on a, on a two week tour of July, do some coaching there. And, at my old club, maybe coach them for Soccer Coach TV. I've got some other clubs lined up. And then we're going back to Barbados um, uh, this summer and a few other places. Yeah, what, what do, I mean, that's that's awesome, yeah. What does, something I'm curious, so like, say like, because um, I've, I've had comment, obviously my channel is, you know, not quite 240,000 subscribers, you know, 13 million views. It's incredible, your channel. Obviously, mine's just still um, extremely small right now. But I've had, I've, you know, and there's been one one or two people that I've met been like, by the way, I know you from, you know, this thing or you've spoken to so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's, it's, it's a weird feeling knowing that people watch your work. It's, it's, a, it's, it's weird and good at the same time. You're like, wow, you're doing something right. But then at the same time, you're like, wow, this person actually knows who I am. I have no idea who they are. But what, is, what does it feel like to you when you're meeting all these people and they know you off by heart, they know everything about you and things that obviously follow you in social media or YouTube and they have done for years? What, what is that type of feeling like for yourself? 
But it's really humble to meet my fans, you know, when I meet them in person. And I've met them all around the world. And uh, when I was in San Juan and in Puerto Rico this summer, I was uh, with my girlfriend and we were walking around this castle mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And this guy comes up to me, says, Sean Green, Soccer Coach TV. You know, and he's shaking my hand and we, we, have, we catch him on video. And this guy's a huge fan. And I mean, I'm, I'm bumping into him, you know, He's from the United States on vacation in San Juan, mm. and uh, but but I've been recognized in many different countries. You know, uh, as I said, Puerto Rico, Barbados, uh, all across the USA, uh, all different places. It, it is humbling. You know, the bottom line is, if you're a soccer coach and you get online looking for ideas and you type in soccer drills, the chances are I'm going to pop up. You know, mm. uh, it's just simply because I've, I've got so much content out there, and I've. I've you know, I say this, uh, I've probably created more free content than any coach on this planet for the internet. Yeah. See, so the chances are if you're into coaching and you've done some Google searches, you're going to come across something. Yeah, 100%. And I know people I've had on the show, you know, for example, Lewis and Derek and, you know, people that work at Celtic and Rangers and everything like that, they know who you are. Like they've meant, we've talked about it, but because you do put, I mean, you do put a lot of content out. And as I said, you have obviously, and I've looking for your content and things like that. And the, the one thing I'm curious about, and I'm sure people will be curious about as well, is do you ever get burnt out? Like, do you ever like have that burnout feeling with putting so much content and things like that out? Are you still like, you're not, I'm unsure if I want to do this. I know you're saying like about consistency, but have you ever had that burnout type feeling? I have, but it's not often. It's mm-hmm. not often that dry. You know, it's, it is my passion. I, I'm fortunate in a way that I, I do take breaks from the game, you know, like I, I don't coach over the winter months. You won't find me in some indoor stadium coaching players indoors. I, t- I take the break off. I take probably two or three months off in the winter. It charges my batteries. It allows me to work on different projects. I, I've always got two or three projects going. You know, it's never nothing. Uh, and I've got so many different ideas that I, that I like to work on. Um, but no, I, I don't really get burned out. I have a passion for what I'm doing. I think it's because I really enjoy it. You know, I enjoy what I'm, like I said before, that I enjoy, I have a passion for what you're doing. I enjoy it because it interests me. Mm-hmm. And, and because it interests me, you know, it's the thing that gets me up every morning. I mean, every morning you should have, you should wake up and have somebody to love, uh, something to look forward to and something to do, you know? That's important in life. Have something to do with purpose. And, uh, you know, one thing I'll mention is any young coaches or even anybody who wants to start their own, you know, side hustle or, or social media or YouTube channel, whatever it is, and really think about your branding, you know, uh, instead of just going on and doing the podcasts. And I th- this logo right here, when people see that, they know what it is, mm. you know. It's Soccer Coach TV. That's a branding. That's on my video, my intro, my extra. It's on everything I do. I wear it right across my chest. So if we're talking on this show right now for 45 minutes, right there, that's 45 minutes of advertising rather than just a, you know, a little commercial at the beginning of the video promoting Mm -hmm. Soccer Coach TV. I'm promoting Soccer Coach TV every second I'm on camera, every second, every time I take a selfie, every time I... Soccer Coach TV is present subliminally on everything that we do. Our mm-hmm. channels, we have you know, TikTok on here, we've got YouTube here. And I, I have shirts designed for me specifically with, with Instagram and TikTok and everything. Because if you're out in a restaurant, 
you're on a field, are you touring? That's your brand right there. And you've got to get your brand out as much as you can. Because let me tell you, you know, there's a lot of traffic out there, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to distinguish yourself somehow. Yeah. You know? And uh, you know, what is your brand? What is your logo? What do you stand for? Hopefully when people watch Soccer Coach TV, they know what I stand for, you know? It's fun, it's informative, it's enthusiastic, hopefully it's inspirational. They, they can expect that on every video that I put out online. We're not going from one area to another area. There's a consistency in Soccer Coach TV's brand. So that's very important when you're starting something from a serious nature to try and, you know, to, to get it took seriously. But to your point before about, you know, the numbers, the numbers will come if you're consistent, Kyle, mm -hmm. okay? Can't be this for two months and then quit and start again in six months. You gotta be doing this when you don't feel like it. You gotta be putting it out there. Um, you gotta be consistent. You've gotta be creative. You gotta find out, okay, what am I good at? Um, and stick with it and uh, think outside the box, you know, trying try to come up with stuff that maybe has not been done before and uh, keep plugging at it and inject your personality, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this medium is not for everybody, you know? Obviously, you're a confident young man because you can get in a podcast and you, you're very, I've looked at some of your videos, you're a very articulate guy, you're diverse. I appreciate uh, you've, had di you've had diverse guests on your show, which is a massive quality. Mm -hmm. But let's face it, a lot of people are not like that. A lot of people are shy on the camera, yeah. don't like being on the camera. Um, and so maybe the medium is Twitter or tech, uh, maybe maybe it's a, pod, a podcast, just an audio file mm -hmm. where they can go and just download it. Maybe just instead of being on camera physically, they can hear you, they can create their own stuff. There's lots of options. And if that doesn't work, you know, write a, write a book, write an ebook. You know, you can do that and sell it on Amazon. There's all different areas uh, that you can get into. I, I look every day when I'm on the internet, I look at new technologies what's out there with artificial intelligence, with virtual reality, what are other people doing, what are competitors doing, what's fun, um, mm. all those kind of things that you look at, even just how do you, what's the best use of that medium? This We're on Zoom right now mm. talking. So how do you maximize that platform for your benefit, you know? And so when you sit down and you think about it. I think as well, I mean, on it's like looking at, you know, we're talking you know, but before the podcast about like things that, you know, I'm into and you're into and that and that I think with the whole, with being into technology and being into the metaverse, I think it's, it's a little bit away from football, but just going on what you were saying is that I think I'm, I'm very curious to how this type of environment, like what obviously everybody, you know, Zoom and even what you do and things like that, how the metaverse will incorporate that type of thing. I think that's where the next step, you know, then obviously we're online and um, it's like an extension of yourself, but how is it like, so for example, for yourself, obviously virtual reality with the goggles, it's going to be like people are with you literally, not just on video, but literally the headset. So you'll be like right, obviously right in front of me, the headset on and they'll, all they'll hear is your voice, but you could be in like... Um, you know, a studio setup, for example, that type of thing. So, I, do you I, own a pair of? Do you, do you own a pair of Oculus? I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't. I, I've have used them, but I've never. I don't own my own pair. I I, I have some Oculus, and I've used them, and um, they're fascinating. I mean, the technology fascinates me, and uh, I think it's really going to take off when some, 
several things happen. Number one, first of all, that the you know, the hardware that you use they're pretty heavy, you know, and they're not absolutely light to wear and a little bit uncomfortable. They need to knock that down with, I think, with uh, Facebook's or Metaverse's new goggles going to be coming out, Google goggles. I think when they become lightweight and become more practical, you know, it's going to take off. Mm. You know, it's got to get to the level of 4K. You know, it's not there yet. You know, it's not as, the image is not as sharp as you'd be watching television, you know. Mm. Um, however, to your point, where does this go in terms of, I think, but where does it go in terms of football? How can the metaverse, if the metaverse happens, but there will, certainly will be a virtual world out there yeah. um, because there's money out there. People are going to follow money. Um, I can create an avatar. Well, for example, tell you where I was two nights ago. I was on top of Mount Everest, right? I climbed Mount Everest uh, in virtual reality the night. It was a phenomenal experience. It took 15 minutes. <laughs> Obviously, I was with a Sherpa. Mm-hmm. Talking to Sherpas at Mount Everest, one of my biggest fans is a Sherpa on Mount Everest. <laughs> He's a soccer coach. Great guy. Absolutely fantastic guy. I love him. He texts me every week. and uh, He's inviting me out there, but the chances of me climbing Everest is zero to none you know, <laughs> with my knees. But uh, it's, I was climbing Mount Everest. There's a... There's a platform there you can get on with oculus and you're actually it's, it's, it's more like it's 360 video that's what it is if you get on youtube there's tons of 360 videos yeah. um, but you, you follow the, the ship and you get the real experience what it's like you're in a little tent you get up you go from camp one to camp two i think they have to acclimatize in real life for about a month at camp one to to get adjusted to the climate yeah. um, and when you're at the top, Kyle, with these goggles on, when you're at the top, you're looking around 360. It is just an unbelievable experience. You really feel you are on top of Mount Everest, mm. right? And um, I was—I I bought Oculus because I try to work out every day, a little bit every day if I can anyway, religiously work out. Mm. And... Um, I bought Oculus because I want to do some of the aerobic activities that you can do. You can do boxing, you can do aerobics, you can do all kinds of different stuff on there. And uh, so I was boxing, I put them on, and I'm in a ring, and it looks real, right? The referee's standing there, and there's an older guy in the corner, right? And it looks like one of these carnival boxes, you know? (laughs) And the crowd's there, a bit of a crowd with 20 people around. It's, it's almost like the ring inside of a gym, not in a stadium. You know what I'm saying? Like those Rocky Four movies, you know? Mm. So he comes at me, and I you know, stick one on him, and I give him an undercut, you know, back off a bit, and boom, I hit him again, I hit him again. And within 10 seconds, he's lying on the ground, boom, you know, knocked him down. I thought I was like, you know, Rocky. I thought I was doing great, you know? Mm. Take the goggles off, and my girlfriend was recording me. While I was doing it, the goggles on. Instead of looking like Rocky, I was like, I was like this, you know. I was like, <laughs> I look nothing like I imagined I did in the, uh, in the virtual world. But um, look, I, I mean, I was in 9/11. I was in the World Trade Center, virtual reality. I've got a, a, an experience there. You can go on, you know, 20th floor and big bang, big boom, and you'll see these papers flying down the windows and debris. And next thing you know, you're at the in the middle of the, the bottom of the epicenter of the World Trade Center with first responders around you. And you're submerged in history, you know? It's, incre- it's an incredible tool. 
Um, for football, I can only be, as a coach, I can only be on the field with, you know, 20, 30, 40 players, whatever it is. With virtual reality, you can build a stadium like this. We already have that out there in FIFA games. I could own a stadium like this that you see behind me. Mm -hmm. I could invite you, put your Oculus goggles on, charge you 25 quid for a two-hour training session with me. At the same time, I have a player from Brazil, from India, from Pakistan, from China. I could have 100 players on the field, right? But it would seem like it was one-on-one -on -one to you. Or if I wanted to create an environment where there's 11 players on the field, I could. Um, but I could coach you, not on every single aspect of the game, because you really need to be there with the ball, touching the ball, but there are lots of elements of the game that I can introduce you to, to get drop knowledge with you or to share with you that would be beneficial for you as a soccer player so one it would allow me to, to have a huge massive reach um as a coach um i think that what you're going to see is a premier league in the future in virtual reality and those teams are going to be sold to highest bidders mm -hmm. Kyle, you can own london pirates this new Virtual Premier League team we're going to create with $50 million. You're going to own the rights to the stadium. We're going to build a stadium for you. Okay. And uh, we're going to give you a roster, right? We'll do the draft. There will be a draft for players and we'll create the virtual players for you. And you're actually going to play a match against a team from Newcastle, mm -hmm. which is going to be the Newcastle Hornets or whatever. And fans are going to rally around their virtual team on Newcastle they're going to rally around it they're going to get online and they're going to watch the match and uh, you can transfer players but you're going to hire a manager like me to coach the team mm. and the people who are going to be operating like FIFA are going to be not your top soccer stars they're going to be the best FIFA players around the world mm -hmm. you follow me yeah, yeah so the kid might not be able to kick a ball downhill but he's absolutely like you know he's like uh, Ronaldo uh, with a joystick, yeah, and uh, and you know maybe, maybe you pay admission to, to the final or whatever. Like you'll sell at billboard advertising around there. They're going to grow, it'll, it'll grow in that area. Look, right now is um, the top guy from Nike uh, resigned from Nike and he signed a big deal for Facebook and he was the top guy responsible, I think, for the, uh, the development of their new attire, the Nike line, stuff like that. And he's going to the metaverse to develop clothing for the metaverse hmm it's it's like it i think it, the the future the future of like for example of like on as quote unquote people, people call online influencers is it, it's 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 i don't even think anybody could easily put it into words to be honest because it's not you're not only going to have to have the media presence you're also like what you're saying you know and i appreciate your compliment as well thank you by the way that you're going to need to be confident in front of the camera you're going to need to be more confident because people are going to be seeing you're going to have to be seen doing more than what you were but it does make does make me think as well is that what about the the social media aspect of it as well like what's social media going to be like in the metaverse like your instagram your twitter you know your facebook all this sort of stuff 
it, it does make me curious to think what I wonder what that's going to be like in the metaverse. Like, are you literally going to be able to like scroll through with your literal hand through tweets and you know type like a computer and things like that? It, it's 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 yeah, but weird. you know what? You 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 could be in the metaverse and not be who you physically are, you know. You could look totally different in the metaverse, you could sound totally different in the metaverse. The thing is, in the metaverse, too, I'm sitting here talking to you in English, mm-hmm. but in real time, as I'm talking, if you're Japanese, you're going to hear me speak Japanese. Artificial intelligence will, they do that now. They have holograms right now. I saw, I saw a presentation on YouTube, this woman who was demonstrating AI technology where she was on this stage in the United States. And she was doing this demonstration and she clicks this button and there's an exact hologram of her standing beside it. It was like a futuristic movie, but this is reality. It's what you can do now. Yeah. Exact hologram beside it. At the same time that came on, it came on live in Japan on a stage. She she just appeared on a stage in Japan. She spoke American, but the woman in Japan was speaking Japanese. It translated it in real time. Wow. I mean, it's phenomenal technology, the stuff that's out there. I think a big area in the future with the whether it's virtual reality or, or, or the metaverse, is going to be real estate. Is going to be, I mean, they already sell uh, uh, tiles of property right now, right, in the metaverse. Yeah. And um, But I think what's going to happen is that, for example, all these people who want to get involved and make a few bucks in, a, in the metaverse, but for example, let's say you're a chef, right, and you want to teach cooking classes to everybody in the world. You want to make it immersive. You want people to be in that environment with you. What are you, what are you going to do? You put your gas glasses on, what are you going to do it? So what we do, you, you know, companies are going to you know, be built on, all right, what we're going to do, we're going to build a kitchen, a real like uh, Gordon Ramsay kitchen for you. Mm-hmm. you know, in v- virtual reality, you get to use it. You pay us a fee or you buy a subscription to this kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And you invite people in for cooking lessons and you can show them how to cook in virtual world, mm. and uh, you're making money. I'm making money. Once I've built this kitchen, you know, I move on to something, building something else. But not only that, I can have a thousand cooks in the kitchen at the same time. You wouldn't even know it. So you can, oh. I could, you could, you could build a church, a virtual church, and make an incredibly spiritual experience. And, and people would come to church there and make a donation at the end. There's so many ideas that you could, that I think about that you could you, you could go down uh, with this new area. I think it's phenomenal. It's like the Wild Wild West. It it's it's yeah. I think it's hard to put into words the way we're going to need to advance. Obviously, you've had like such as I said to you before we started an amazing history when it comes to you know soccer coach TV and everything else. Obviously, you've built this behemoth like every, everybody knows who you are effectively like this thing like as you said millions of watch hours everybody knows who you are but i'm honestly curious to see where the the next level of soccer coach tv goes like the next level have you got any that you can obviously speak about have you got any plans in place where you're maybe like considering taking it to the metaverse like the next level like that because obviously you're so you're huge on obviously youtube social media things like that but how are you going to advance to the, the metaverse type thing? Have you have you have you thought about that before? Absolutely. In fact, I, I had a meet, had two meetings last week about uh, virtual reality and, and three hundred and sixty video, 
Mm -hmm. uh, one was with a former employee of ESPN. Have you heard of ESPN? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. yeah so we, I sat with lunch with him and picked his brains, and he actually does virtual reality for concerts. He goes to big oh. bands and sets up the 360 video and, and takes that. Um, and then I actually just co-sponsored a proposal, uh, a grant for a grant at our university to develop three, uh, VR technology um, as a learning tool for our students at our university. Because I am a professor at a university, tenured professor at a university. And to introduce virtual reality to students at the school and how can we integrate virtual reality into a college environment you know what can we teach what can we teach about uh, social injustice what can we teach about you know inequities what can we teach about uh, racism what can we teach about history what can we teach about technology engineering sport and uh, if you're a perspective for an example if you're in a prospective student who wants to attend our university, maybe from another country, wants to go to the US and go to our school. We have many international students at our school who pay money to go to our university. Um, so flying over here, what you can do is put your goggles on and actually take a virtual tour of our university. You can walk around the campus. Um, you could actually go to an American, watch our football team play, our basketball team play. You could stand on the sidelines and actually get the atmosphere of the crowd around you and see what the campus spirit's like, what it's, what it's like. Mm -hmm. or check out our engineering facilities or our art room or whatever it is you can there's so many different things so i'm exploring that area i'd like to see where certainly i'm looking and doing my research and seeing how can soccer coach tv maybe be a pioneer or a leader in that area in terms of coaching there's not much out there that i've seen that i've found in terms of serious players or pushing this uh, a narrative it's inevitable i think um the Soccer Coach TV, one of my goals is, is to, it was right before COVID and it really put a, a, a block on it, was to travel internationally. Mm -hmm. And to, because we're based in, I'm based in the United States and Connecticut, not far from New York City. But I think to, to really to get the message out, I need, I need to be on the road, going to different countries. I was supposed to go to Thailand this January and that got blocked with Omicron. As I said, we did a Caribbean tour last summer and U.S., different cities, going to go to England again this summer. You know, ideally, I would like to travel the world, you know, 12 months a year, helping kids and documenting it and coaching different, different areas, showing coaches around the world what it's like to be in different environments, the challenges, the hurdles they have. I'm sure there's many, many inspirational stories out there. My heroes in football are, are not Pepe and Klopp and these type of coaches. Uh, because they never coach on YouTube. You know, they're not out there helping youth coaches. They're not helping Clark and Pepe and these type of coaches. They couldn't do what a, a youth coach does with five-year-olds. The commitment, the passion it takes to coach youth. I want to get out there and, and, and show put the camera on them, not on me. Show what these people are doing in, in Africa, in Pakistan, in India, in all these different areas. And, and go around and, and help these communities around the world and document it and show football coaching at a global level what it's at at the grassroots level. Yeah. Where would you say it's like the, you know, because as you have been, at like, as you said, around the world in so many amazing different places, where would you say it's like um, somewhere you really enjoy coaching the most? Like one person, it's probably hard to say that, obviously, but where's one place you would say, you know, I'd go there 
consistently all the time even like i'd move there to coach there at that time yeah yeah well that's easy one for me it's got to be barbados oh yeah gorgeous yeah i've been to barbados five times coaching down there it's just phenomenal you know when i go down to i always take a week an extra week to hit the beaches but the, the culture of the people in barbados is phenomenal i love it it's a perfect island beautiful sandy beaches perfect you know turquoise water it's 84 degrees every single day. And I got to tell you, um, they are the most incredible people you'll meet, the most humble, most respectful soccer players. They treat you with so much respect down there. It's, it's really unusual um, when you get down there, but it's a great island to explore. I love it. I love the vibe. I love the culture. I love the music. I'm a big reggae fan, actually, Caribbean music. I love that. Um, but I, I would definitely, I could see myself living down in Barbados for sure. That's why I'm, I, I pretty much go every year now down to Barbados. It's, if you ever get the chance to go, it's not that expensive. It's not a crazy expensive island. But again, the, the scenery, the beaches, everything. I mean, being horse riding on the beaches, being snorkeling, scuba diving there. The, I mean, kids are absolutely amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, like, you know, not to like finish off really really quickly but you know to kind of finish off a little bit where would you say it's like um you know i know this is quite a hard a hard thing to say obviously because we've talked about technology we've talked about coaching we've talked about everything like that but if you had to give like for example like a five or ten year plan that you have yourself of where you want to grow and how big you want to grow and things like that with soccer coach or even other stuff you're working on what 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 would you say it was like I said before, I'm, you know, I, I run, I, I chase my interest, you know, it, whether or not it interests somebody else, it, it, it doesn't factor in for me. I, I think about what do I want to do next? What's going to make me happy, you know? And there's a couple of projects that I'm working on right now. My, my immediate project right now is that I, I have a big passion and probably more, probably my main strength as a coach has been team building. Mm. Is is building relationships within the group? How to do that? And it's a part in itself. And uh, I'm actually working on it right now as we speak. I have been for a while. It's probably launching about two weeks. It's called CoachTeamBuilding.com, and it provides tons of videos of uh, if you're a coach and uh, how do you create a culture. How do you bring your players together? Whether you're winning or losing, how do you bring them together? What are the obstacles? Uh, how to resolve conflicts within a team? How to develop uh, influencers in your team to influence other players? Mm. Um, how, do you, how do you go about goal setting? And how do you do different uh, exercises uh, for communication? How do you get your team to talk more? How do you handle adversity within your group? What about diversity in your team? How do you handle that? You know. Um, so it, this website that, that I'll be releasing is tons and tons of video of me uh, doing these topics with small groups or the full team or very intimate, me talking to the team about aspects uh, of team building. And you'll see them doing these exercises that are, you don't see this stuff online. You know, you see plenty of drills and all this kind of, but you never see anything on team building. And I will argue that, Tactics, fitness, skills, you name it. Um, all the things we teach your kids. I will argue that team building is probably the number one important thing. Um, because you, if you've got great skills and you're not a team, 
you're not going to be successful, right? Mm. You can be fit, but you're fit as 11 individuals, you're not a team. So the number one thing you've got to get right is that culture. How do you bring, I'll give you an example, uh, Leicester City, right? Maybe not the best team in the world uh, a few years back when they won the Premier League. Mm. Uh, not the best players in the world, but the best team by a long measure. Yeah. And so it, it interests me because it, it, it applies not just into, um, not just about football, it applies to any sport and any business. You know, how do you work together as a group? What's your common cause? You know, I, I was studying um, part of this because I'm studying every day about different areas that will give great examples of importance of working together as a group. Um, in, in 2010, in August, I think it was August the 10th, August the 5th, um, there was 37 Chilean miners uh, who were in a devastating, uh, I don't know if you remember, the Chilean coal miners, did you ever read yeah, that story? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the mine collapsed and it was 670 feet underground. Yeah. And Kyle, it was 17 days before they even had contact with anybody. They didn't even know that anybody was looking for them for 17 days. I think they were underground for two months uh, before they got them out successfully, got them out from there. Um, but I thought about what was the dynamics going on, you know, seven, 670 feet from the ground between these 37 coal miners uh, in pitch blackness, maybe. Um, how, how do they survive that? You know? What are the lessons that the football team can learn from? And, um, you know, it's interesting, Steve Jobs um, sent them all iPods right when they were still in the cave because what they did they drilled the hole down but the hole was you know maybe about six inches in diameter until they eventually got the big hole from the, the, to, to pull them up through so they were feeding feeding um communications through that hole they were feeding food through that hole steve jobs wanted to send them ipods but the chilean government refused to give them they kept them for christmas presents when they got out because they didn't want to give them ipods because they didn't want these coal miners, 600 feet down on the ground, putting iPods in and then being isolated on their own in their own thoughts. Um, they wanted the fingers. They wanted the fingers a group. Yeah. Right. And uh, in fact, they, they, one of the first companies that they consulted the Chilean government when it, when they were aware of what happened was was NASA, uh, because um, NASA specializes in dealing with what it's like to. For a human to live in isolated situations on Mars in a spacecraft on a space station, right? Mm-hmm. So they want to learn from NASA. That's what they learned on how that can be transferred over to them being in isolation 670 feet down below ground. But more importantly for me, what was interesting was, was who were the guy, what made the guy, who was the guy who stood up? In the leader? You know, mm-hmm. was it the foreman or was it somebody else? Was it the youngest guy? Was it the oldest guy? What made him stand up and be the leader, the second leader, the third leader? The influences of the group that changed, that kept them together. What were the qualities of that guy? And who was the guy who gave up straight away? Just wanted to roll over and die. Why? So all these things, you know, different experiences, different situations, different cultures, different backgrounds. I'm looking at in terms of bringing this stuff together. You know, I'm a big believer that... um, there's more life lessons in when you lose than you win. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, and, you know, a big narrative is that, you know, we like to think as football coaches, 
And you hear this all the time that we teach life lessons. Sports teaches life lessons, right? I was watching last night the blind Paralympics and the girl from Great Britain won it. I don't know when, I think this was in 2016, I might be mistaken, but it was a while back. And it was a 200 meter dash and they were blind sprinters. And it wasn't a straight line. They had to go around the curve and they have a partner with them. They have a, a, a guide with them on the sprint and they strap their hands together. Mm-hmm. And on the mark, they've got, I mean, they're, they're flying. They are flying on the mark. And talk about faith. You know, it's blind faith. You're just going with it. And have you ever seen blind skiers, downhill skiers? I have, yeah. Mm. Phenomenal. You know, they've got their guide behind them and they're wired up to a headphone and the guy's got a microphone in the back of him and he's 10 yards behind him. They're going 105 kilometers, you know, down that hill. And the guy behind him is going, you know, left, right, left, right. And again, it's belief without evidence. It's blind faith. You go down there. But I'm a big believer that in losing... There are much more greater lessons in losing than one and there are women. And if we're teaching life lessons, let's not stop teaching them on the football pitch. Let's make sure that every player or every athlete that you come involved with as a coach in any sport, that one is not just about, let's say, trust or communication or commitment, how that applies to their sport on a football field. Why is trust important? Okay. What, what scenarios in a football match are in training? Why is it important? You're emphasizing it. And then beyond that, how does it help after he stops playing football? That lesson. Why is trust important in life? You know, and then explain to them. So I've been doing a lot of the stuff on the key words or the key phrases we use in sports and, you know, putting down the literal meaning of the world, how it applies to sport, then how that impacts how that applies to the life lessons that we're supposed to be teaching. And, th- and the final thing is show them how it is. Yeah. The, the, I'm a bit taken, taken back, to be honest with you. And the reason I say that is because, like, I've never met anybody that's, like, obviously I've met a lot of passionate people. As you, as you mentioned before, I've spoken to a lot of amazing people. But it's very rare, it's very rare to find somebody that's actually that passionate about what they do that – even like you're saying, the minors, which has nothing to do with football, you're like, I wonder how I can transfer that and take what they had as a team and put it into football. How that's that's incredible. That's on it. I'm genuinely I'm taken back a little bit, especially when you were going into it. It's like it you literally do look at everything. I wonder how I can implement that into like more than what it is, like listen and learn. Where did that ability come from that you were like, I actually want to be able to start implementing that? Where, where did that come from? If you, if that you know, I, I, I want to say I read a book once when I was really young and it was all about lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and lateral thinking is um, taking a, a concept that already exists and just changing it a bit so it can have a whole different purpose. Yeah. Right. For example, all right, I've got my, I don't know if you can see it here. Okay. There's my soccer TV mug. See that? Mm-hmm. There's my mug, and we know what it's for. It's for drinking my coffee out of. Mm-hmm. So let's do a little experiment right now. Me and you are going to go into business, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see how life depended on it. Right. Let's see if we don't invent something within the next three months, they're going to cast us away to some desert island, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Kyle, it's me and you now. So we, first moment we get there, we put this mug on the table. Okay, this is a mug we know this for. What else can we use it for? Let's come up with some creative ideas. What else can we use this mug for? Give me, give me one idea. What else? Other than a coffee cup, what can we use for? <laughs> I was actually going to say a coffee cup and see what you'd say. Um, you could use it for storage, for putting, for putting flowers in, for putting uh, stationery in, for putting... Um, what else could you put in? You could put your There's glasses in. Three ideas. You'll three know your, ideas. You'll know where your teeth are as well. If you have teeth, your false teeth. Right. Four ideas. Right. You put, you put money in it. You could grow stuff in it if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. You could probably turn it upside down and catch butterflies with it if you want to. <laughs> you know what and, I'm um, saying? Probably. So, I mean, if, yeah. the point is, if, if we sat here for half an hour, right, we would probably come up with 20 different ideas what we could use that mug for. We might make it out of a different fabric. You know, we, we might add another handle on it. We might take the handle off. We might, but we're going to take the concept of this container and just with some thought, we'll be able to come up with a totally different concept, right? Mm. Okay? That's the lateral thinking. And so when I think about, when I, I'm always observing about what people are doing in sports or industries and this and that, and I'll think about, okay, what is this person doing here? I like the message you send that. How can I take what he's doing and change it to the benefit of football coaching? That's what I do. So I'm always open-minded about it, any ideas that are out there. That's, and that's why I engage technology, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. How can I turn that back to football? AI, how can I turn that back to football? Internet, website, browsing, TikTok, YouTube. How can I benefit football? education and everything that I see in all different areas. And how does how do the experiences of the miners benefit the football coach? You know, I went on a Buddhist meditation retreat last year for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an organization called Vipassana. Vipassana right. is an international organization. They're all, they're in, there's one institute in London. There's one in Chile too, in a Chile prison to help mm-hmm. the prisoners there. Uh, and it's, it's non-religious. It's not about Buddhism, Hinduism, any of that kind of stuff. It's all about mindfulness. And uh, the largest institute in the Western Hemisphere is about two hours from me in Massachusetts. And you apply to it, and you've got to be accepted to it. I was accepted to the course at the last minute as a standby. And uh, you go for 10 days. There's 50 people there. It's just big facilities. It looks like college out, out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to leave your cell phone, right? It's 25 women, 25 men. And we were there for 10 days. Uh, you put your cell phone at the desk, hand it in. No, no, no phone for, for 10 days. You weren't allowed to speak for 10 days. You weren't allowed to look at anybody for 10 days. And we had to meditate 10 hours a day for 10 days, 100, 100 hours of meditation. And the first three days was teaching us the technique of meditation because I'm a big believer in meditation. Mm-hmm. I do it at home here and... And uh, but I want to learn the right technique and teach you the right technique. And the, the next seven days was all about mindfulness, about how to be a better person, a better better father, better brother, better son, better con- uh, better person in, the, in your own community. Um, it was really really interesting uh, experience. One of the best experiences in my life. One of the hardest things I've ever done physically to do that. I mean, when is the last time you never talked for ten days? Never, right? I think the longest I've went without talking, gen, like gen, in, a, in a serious note, the longest I've ever went without talking is about four and a half hours. Right. That's I've never I couldn't I couldn't even imagine 
Well, I, I mean, for me, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, no. I'm on my phone. I'm like everybody else. I'm on my phone every day, but even more because I'm posting on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, all that stuff. So no social media for me for 10 days. I had to check out. You know, I made a post on my on my social on my social saying I'm doing this and some people saying you'll never make it. I know you, you know, you'll never do it. So that drove me that even my girlfriend doubted me that she thought I'd be home after day three. And I nearly was because it was tough. Four o'clock in the morning you hear a gong boom, outside your door. You have your own room. We had to wear masks the whole time. And uh four thirty we we'd meditate for an hour, five minute break, meditate meditate for another hour. You just sit there in total silence. And some of the times when we meditated, um, I mean, most of the time you could wiggle around a bit and get comfortable because 10 hours is a long time sitting in one spot. Mm. But other times they had a thing called a sitting of discipline where you, you, you couldn't move. You couldn't blink an eye. You couldn't move a fingernail. You, you, total stillness for an hour. Try and sit like that for an hour. Without, literally frozen like a statue. And it, it, it is very challenging. And the thoughts that go through your mind, you're relaying every experience you've ever had in your life in that 100 hours. And uh, it, it, some people, I, I don't have any demons in my life or really traumatic experiences in my life, but some of the people, well, they did. And it was like pulling band-aids off big, deep wounds for them emotionally, you know, when going through this, thinking mm. about stuff. You're thinking about your childhood. You're thinking about the good decisions, the bad decisions. You're thinking about your hopes, your dreams, everything. But the big thing is trying to be in the moment. The biggest things I learned there was one, is being in the moment. And I'm a big believer of it. It's we, we spend, you know, 98% of our life not being in the moment. We're always thinking about tomorrow, next week, our careers, our jobs, our relationships. We reflect back in the past, but truly being in this moment, this experience that, that me and you are in right now, you know, talking to each other, fully focused on that moment. And we're not, and going, and this is relating to what we're talking about, lateral thinking. I'm a big believer that people, when, when I try to think creatively, um, people think that you get creative ideas when you're in the shower, all of a sudden, or you're driving your car and you have this great idea, you're gonna pursue it. In a shower, you have this idea when it just comes to you. Not for me. I have to sit down in a room, the pad and a piece of paper, and this hour that I'm devoting is going to be on lateral thinking, thinking out the box. Okay, I'm, do, I'm doing a coaching session, session today. How can I do something totally different that no coach has ever seen before? What kind of exercises? What can I say that maybe they've never heard from a soccer coach before? So I'm, I'm really thinking out the box, but it's a conscious decision on my end to think differently. Um, I, I visited, I was invited to Google in New York City, the headquarters. Okay, I was invited down there and they gave me a tour of Google. And it was phenomenal to me because uh, the, the offices are about the size of two football fields. Well, and the offices are all glass there's, there's 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 no drywalls there's no wooden walls it's all glass they're all transparent so your office next to me i could see what you're doing i could see what they're doing everything's transparent and what it blew my mind was when these creative people were working they would take these markers and they would write on the walls right so i could see everything that you're thinking because you're writing on this 
on the glass wall there and you know it's a lot of transparency what they do if you're working a 40 hour week at google probably about 32 hours of that is on your job and they make you um just think creatively for eight hours you get paid for it. it's part of your job think look don't think about your job we're going to pay you today on a friday just think about anything new come up with something new or change this idea somewhat mm-hmm. to pay to be creative that's just just a great concept uh, to have. But this course I was on was phenomenal. I learned a lot about being in the moment. It was, it was incredible for me. And, um, you know, not not to judge in life, uh, just observe. You know, the big thing we do a little, way too much of is, is make judgments about people and what we hear and what we see and what we do. And when you cannot speak with somebody and, and you make these judgments about people, um, it is it, it is really, really an interesting, it was almost like a clinical test, you know, mm-hmm. um, a clinical experiment, but it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, uh, it, it's something I'd encourage people if they're interested in doing it, check it out. It's called Vipassana. It, it really opens the eyes to, to, to what's out there. And, um, you know, it, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Mm. There's, no, there's no enrollment fee. They encourage you to make a donation at the end if you'd like to. Don't, there's no pressure. Um, you know, and so the food we were given, we had breakfast in the morning, it was all vegan food. And then about 11 was lunch, and we had no dinner. Um, and the thing is, you know, when Buddhist monks train to be a Buddhist monk, Kyle. They take away all their worldly possessions, right? They have a robe, they have sandals, mm-hmm. and they sleep on a bamboo bed, and that's it. And for food, when they're in training, they get a wooden bowl, and they're instructed that to go into the nearby villages and beg for their own food. They don't provide food for them when they're in training. They have to go out and beg, and you'll see these monks, Buddhist monks, going out in the villages with a bowl and people giving them food. And the reason to do that is to take away any ego that these people might have, these Buddhist monks might have. It's pretty hard to have an ego if you're begging in the streets for food. Yeah. You know? And without them saying anything, you experience that because when you wake up in the morning and you're starving, or having a lunch and you're starving, and it comes to your mind that who was the person on this planet who made a donation and allowed me to have this meal today? through their kindness. It, it, re- it really encourages you to think about many different things that you don't when you're in the office from nine to five or you run around outside trying to get stuff, you're doing a podcast, whatever. You, you, you're, some, you're a di- totally different place. It's a very unique place that you're in when you when you get into that zone. Um, but, you know, I'm a big, it's a big believer in, in meditation. I think it's got a lot of practical uses, especially, you know, through what we went through through the pandemic for sure mental health yeah i think um i don't i don't meditate as such but half an hour in the morning and obviously before i get up i usually wake up about six o'clock in the morning even when i'm not doing anything but it's just like ritualistic and then half an hour before i go to sleep i'll usually evaluate everything that i've done that day and everything for obviously that i've got to do in the morning everything i've got to do and then at night everything i've done and then like 10 15 minutes on what i'm doing the next day so it's tight. It's kind of like meditation and that, but not really. See, my eyes are open, and you're not 
you know, doing anything like that. But what I'm curious about though is what 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 made you want to like go on that meditation course in the first place? Like, what was the reason behind it? Um, like, was it because of you well, learned from, from someone, or was you just like, you know, oh, I mean, um, always done it. It was uh, probably because during COVID, I mean, I have a gym at home, a, a, a nice gym at home, and. Um, I wanted to get my cardio in. I'm, I'm an avid swimmer. I try to swim nearly every day if I can yeah. uh, for my cardio. And um, during COVID, I couldn't get in. The swim pool was closed. So I really wanted to find something to from a, uh, that I could do at home. And meditation and uh, yoga was one of them. And uh, so I used to get on YouTube and learn how to meditate. I couldn't do it right. Uh, sometimes I did. Sometimes I'd fall asleep. I wanted to learn the art of it. I believe the benefits of meditation. I believe that uh, I wanted to teach my own kids how to meditate, my sons, my three sons. I wanted to teach my soccer players how to meditate, to handle stress, anxiety, depression. Um, but I didn't have the skill set to do that. So I, I found out about this organization and went on it. That's what driven me to just the knowledge so I could pass it on to other players. I taught meditation when I was in Barbados. To the players there, I taught meditation to the players in in Puerto Rico, I taught, I taught meditation to my players. It's free. It's a skill free. Here's the thing, because often enough, a lot of pro players will meditate, by the way. A lot of mm -hmm. professional movie stars, too, they meditate. Um, things about meditation, at the end of competition, whether it's a, a youth team, a pro team, semi-pro team, whatever, in any sport, You'll, you'll, you'll be very competitive. You'll get on the field. You'll compete. You'll be you'll all out in competition. At the end of the competition, and then you tell the kids, guys, you got to cool down now. Always warm up. You're always cool down. Right? You know the benefits, obviously, of that. Mm. The cool down is a slow jog, a stretch, whatever. But we, we never give them any tools to decompress mentally after the game. Cal, you've had a shitty game today. You go home. You're bummed out. You know, you didn't play up to your expectation. How do you deal with that, you know? Um, maybe people are yelling at you in the stands. Uh, maybe the coach was yelling at you. Maybe you had an argument with a friend on the field. Or how, how do you decompress mentally? You know, and we don't give them these tools, tools to decompress. These kids have a lot of uh, stresses on them, especially again through pandemic. I mean, it's documented, well documented. So how do we deal with that? When some of these kids are going home, they're not all going to ideal homes. They're going home to fathers who are alcoholics, some mothers who are alcoholics, parents who might, you know, be do drugs. It's a reality. We don't all live in a fairy tale world. Divorced families, single families, families from different economic backgrounds. Uh, but using meditation is just one way of controlling your emotions, getting your thoughts together, getting organized together, being in the moment. Um, Reducing anxiety. I mean, whenever you feel anxious, okay, uh, you've heard the expression, you'll take a deep breath, right? Yeah. So there's a reason for that, is when you take a deep breath, it activates the parasympathetic system in the, in the brain, which reduce, re reduces your heart rate. That extra intake of oxygen will reduce your heart rate, which will calm you down. So the technique of breathing and meditation is very important, deep breathing to reduce your heart rate write down they've done scientific studies on buddhist monks and, um, and uh, where they uh, put them in stressful situations and their heart rate was twice as low as 
regular people in those stressful situations, you know? And follow it, as I said, anxiety, depression, uh, you name it. Uh, I could go on and on, but mental health is important. And I, for me personally, I mean, speak for myself, it, it, it's, I think it's a great tool for everybody, coaches, for anybody, not, let alone athletics, but anybody. And it's something to do, you can do on the couch, ground, any equipment for it. Um, it gives you time to reflect. Yeah. I think I think that's the I think when people like um with myself and that I think the how I do it in the morning, the half an hour in the morning, half an hour at night, that definitely helps my my anxiety to be honest with you. When obviously it's just it's just nerves and things like that. So it's not proper mm-hmm. I can't speak for somebody that's proper, but I can imagine if you are actually properly suffering with mental health and things like that, you know I do know people that do. So maybe like, med- maybe, med- well, maybe clearly meditation would probably help them to fit, maybe like be able to deal with it easier. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, that that type of thing. It might actually help to be honest with you. I've never, I can't say, I can't, and like you said, you know, excuse me, you nearly fell asleep once. I probably would fall asleep if I was to close my eyes for that amount of time or just sitting there or anything like that. That would be my problem. But when, um, what 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 made you do that over like you know meditation over for example um maybe like other forms of exercise and we did yoga and things like that but and swimming and things what made you a better question actually be what made you continue doing meditation I know you realized you you done it and you liked it and things like that but what made you continue it after well, you- I'm not gonna lie to you I, I don't do it every single day I do it when I need it um but there are people do it every single day I'll fit it in my schedule I try to. You know, I'm on a kind of a journey right now, too, is uh, I set a goal. Um, I'm 63 years of age, Kyle, you know. I know I look like I'm 23, but... Um, oh, young man. I'm, si- I'm 63. i got to look after myself. My whole philosophy is this, is that um, you can't look after a team if you're a football coach, and you can't look after your family if you're a football coach, and you can't look after yourself. Okay, you have to look after yourself like your job is to look after somebody else, you know. And so, if 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 I needed to care for you, you survive, you know, I'd go out my way to make sure it's taken care of. And you've got to think about yourself like that too, because if if I'm not healthy as a coach, uh, I'm no use to my family. I'm no use to my friends. I'm no use to my athletes. I'm no use to that. And you'll see it all the time. You read about it all the time. The stress of coaches and the stress of people in jobs, you know, who work 60 hours a week, work like crazy and barely see their families and the stress they're in. Well, what's the point if, you know, you, you can't, if, if you're not healthy, if you're not mentally healthy, physically healthy, um, it's going to show. My philosophy is this. I do a little bit of every, every day. I set a goal like, I set a goal of working out 100 days straight, no breaks recently, okay? So I had to do something every single day, swim, lift. Uh, as I said, I got gymnasium with weights and all this stuff. Lift, yoga, meditate, aerobics, whatever, whatever it is, I have to do something every single day for 100 days. I'm on day 149 now, okay? So now I've challenged myself to 200 days. Can I make it to 200 days without taking a break? 
unfortunately, I just I was in hospital yesterday and I just found out I tore my rotator cuff. So I'm going to need to go on for surgery, I think, next month. But even then, I, I'll still be doing something, you know. But the philosophy is this. You know, for me, if I committed to a big gym and I tried to get big and strong, I would probably quit after about a month, you know. It's not my goal. I try to do a little bit every single day and be consistent. And I talk about it as a, a, a leaky sink, okay? A leaky sink. If, if, if your sink was leaking and just one drop came out of it every day, it mightn't seem much. If two or three days, you look at it, all right, it's a little, little couple of drops there. Come back in six months, there's going to be a flood, right? There's going to be a lot of water there. Come back in a year, the whole kitchen's going to be flooded. And so when you're working out, it's a little drop. Do a little bit every day. Then the next day, do a little bit. Then the next day, do a little bit. Whatever you can handle. It might be walking around the, the neighborhood for 10 minutes. It, 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 it may be meditation. It may be stretching. You know, I started stretching for 20 minutes every day. Um, and maybe going for a swim for half an hour. Whatever, whatever it is. But do it every single day. And I tell you what, six months from now, it's going to show. You're going to be fitter physically, mentally, from a health, from a cardio standpoint. A year from now, definitely going to show. If you don't do it every single day, eventually it's going to show, right? Either way, it's going to show in a positive or a negative standpoint. You can't, you can't keep taking money out of the bank and then one day go to the bank, look for more money in this There'll be nothing there. If you keep taking, doing all the bad things, and you get sick and you go look at that, I, I, need, I need to be healthy now to help me through the sickness. It's not going to be there. It's going to show. One thing you can't fake is health. Totally. You can fake everything else. You can't fake health. So it, it, it's important. It's, it's that mindset that's important. You know? You gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be your mind has to be stronger your feelings and often our feelings are to you know to do whatever we like to use that but your mind has to tell you hey you can't be doing that yeah it's it's and we've been um we're competing in strongman in that now properly it, it's unbelievable how much you can lift and you know x amount of weight i don't want to brag here so x amount of weight is what i'm going to say and then one week and amazing hit personal best it feels amazing and then the next week if you've had if i've had a bad day i can't i can't get it off the ground but it blows the mind because i'm like how how isn't this happening but again it's the whole mental as you're saying thing it's the it's i was going to say is it mentally for you or is it your sleep patterns or what you're eating do you think it's more mental for you um some days i've, I've triggered it now this was like previously um previously um back you know when i first started competing and stuff and it, it was, it was. I think it was the the nerves and the sleeping pattern, and closer against the competition, and you're, you're developing that type of thing. But the way I managed to overcome it is to think to myself: just because you can uh, lift it once, you now you know you can lift it. So you go down a little bit, and then work it that way, and then you jump past the weight again. So you're not hitting the same weight you hit for your personal best. You're jumping past it without X men. I don't want to say the numbers because I'm, I'm definitely not bragging. But like it, you jump past that way. It's, it's it's that type of thing. So that's when I have hurdles to relate it back to hurdles. 
when I have hurdles, I figure out how I've overcome it. And then if that hurdle goes back again, I'm like, okay, I'll apply that, but I need to apply a, li- a little bit different and then a different and a different and different. And it's, 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 it's that type of thing. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird analogy to go about it, but that's how I usually go about to and develop things like that. It's believe you can do it. You know, you know, Roger Bannister, when he broke the four minute mile, right? Yeah. Hadn't been broken for, I don't know how long, I'm just guessing decades maybe or a decade. Nobody, the, the, people were absolutely convinced that man could not run the four minute mile. It was impossible. Physiologically, it was impossible to run a mile in four minutes. When he broke the four minute mile, Roger, Roger Bannister, and that mental barrier that everybody thought that human humans could not run that fast. Again, it was so long, well over a decade before somebody did it. And it was such a short period, I think a year or two years, year and a half after he broke the four minute mile, six other people did it. Because nobody did because they said it couldn't be done. They bought into that idea that it couldn't be done. Roger Bannister did. He was held at the time actually by a pretty good wind, apparently. You know, and the wind that he's back when he was running, but um, it's all mental mindset. All right, my friend, I'm going to be hitting the road here. And uh, so I would love to come back as a guest anytime that you want me to get back as a guest. 100%. I actually had, I think one, we've got, I had one last question. One yeah, last I'm question. Just trying, so nearly two hours would be at it right now. That's yeah, great. Yeah, I know, it, I know. It, 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 I mean, I, I listen, I could talk for another five hours, but. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. I understand. I do. I was just waiting on you finishing there. What one one last question, right? And I think yeah. it would be fantastic to get your opinion on this one. Now, with social media being so predominant nowadays, like literally, as you know yourself, it literally, it's it's predominant. It's the number one thing. It's your, I, I say, it's your left leg. Everybody knows you from that. It's like a part of you, right? Do you think you should necessarily monitor what you put on social media nowadays because it it might. And I'm not saying it ever has and it ever will, but it might affect your job. It might affect that type of stuff. Do you think you should necessarily, and I'm not talking, you know, do you think it would necessarily affect that type of stuff, if that makes sense? It's not only important, it's necessary. Mm. I think it's necessary to monitor. Uh, well, first of all, monitor yourself, you know, and be sensible about what you say, how you conduct yourself, uh, particularly because you're always an example, you know. I mean, every time you step in front of a camera, um, I'm a so-called influencer online, you know, and that means I influence people in a way. And they, hopefully I'm doing it, in a, my goal is to do it in a positive manner and uh, an enthusiastic mid, uh, manner to do that. If I'm saying stuff that's not positive, uh, you know, it's counterproductive to, to everything, it's, that's not good. So one, monitor yourself. Uh, be the standard for everybody else, Okay be the standard for everybody else to measure themselves by in terms of your conduct, what you say, and consistency of, of who it's. It's going back to the brand, right? What do you expect? You tune in to see me, Coke, what do you expect? You know? Yeah. Um, but also, it's important to monitor, uh, for example, I'll give you an example. A few years back on YouTube, I was starting to get some real negative comments, right? Which I never get. I mean, very, very real, somebody's criticize what I've done and normally when I go to there I'll say okay let me look at their channel normally the this one guy with zero followers you know they're anonymous they're never it's never somebody who's substantial say that and uh, and I people can criticize me if they want but when it's due and uh, 
but I was getting these comments. Ah, uh, oh, that player is fat. Okay, that player's crap. Really bad stuff. I mean, not every player is great. Not every player is slim. You know, fat people play soccer. You know, bad players play soccer. You know, why are you being so critical? And there was another one, another one, another one. Until I figured out it, it was a group of kids who obviously knew each other. They were just bombarding others. They were saying, you know, uh, all kinds of slurs. I'm not even going to repeat them here yeah. on this podcast. All kinds of bad stuff about these kids I was coaching. It wasn't so much about me. And so I reported it. I, I blocked them all and I reported them. And they were just getting their giggles out of just blasting this channel, you know. And so I reported them and they all got blocked. But at that time, at the same time, they they were YouTube at that time, which is a couple of years back, were having a massive uh, um, push on protecting kids. That's just before they had their own kids channel. That's why they created their own kids channel at the time. Yeah. Okay. And um, so they were very protective of anything. And then I lost every comment I had for like five years before then. They took every comment off, positive or bad. So I lost so much positive comments that just disappeared. So it started again from scratch from there. But yeah, I, now I, what I do is I, I actually have to review every comment everybody makes now. There is, there is an option when you run YouTube as, as a moderator that you can just let people comment uh, without monitoring it, or you can actually monitor it first and look at it first before you're allowed to be posted. And that's what I do. So I'll check every comment just for that single reason. And, but if somebody's got something constructive to say, which maybe doesn't agree with, I'll still post it, but I'm not going to let profanity or slurs or all that kind of stuff allow. So I think you have a responsive, a social responsibility um, if you get into this game to, to be consistent and, and, and do due diligence about the content you put out. Yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. You know, I always, it's funny, the, the last the last thing I always ask is for everybody's social media, but everybody's already going to know who you are. This is the thing is, you're very, one of the very few people I've spoken to, like, I already know what it is, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because you never know. What's, what is um, all of your social medias that, and websites and stuff that people can... Oh, uh, great. I'm glad you mentioned it. SoccerCoachTV.com. Well, <laughs> SoccerCoachTV on YouTube, okay? Mm-hmm. If you want to go to, a, it's a paid subscription site, uh, Difference between that is lots of videos that are on Soccer Coach TV on YouTube, but all the lesson plans and diagrams, you can print it off in a book, you can do lots of other, and there's lots of other content on there that's not on my channel. SoccerCoachTV.com, all videos. Uh, SoccerClinics.com, which is one of the biggest websites in the world. Thousands of pages of content on tactics, fitness, training sessions, coaching curriculums for the entire season for every single practice laid out for you. I have uh, just warmups, warmups.com, and that website is videos out of 75, 100 different warmups that you can do with your team. You can see the, go to the team and see the, the coach do the same warmup every practice uh, with his team. This gives them lots of great ideas, different ideas that you can do with all different age groups. And then uh, I have icasoccerfitness.com, which is a, all about soccer fitness, how to get your team in shape. I collaborated with a guy on that called Roger Spry, who was one of the top fitness experts in the world. But coming soon to a computer and phone near you, 
coachteambuilding.com is going to be the hottest soccer coaching website in the world, guaranteed. Awesome, awesome. And you guys will know exactly where to get him on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that and TikTok. Yeah, just type in Soccer Coach TV, you'll find me. Yeah, that's... And, you know, reach, reach out to me, drop me an email, tell me a text, tell me you saw me on Kyle's show here. And uh, Kyle, listen, I really appreciate it, man. I, 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 again, I watch your show. I think you're very articulate, very interesting guy. I appreciate it. I'll share this with my audience there. Hopefully, you'll get a lot of people looking at this. And uh, and I wish you the best of luck. And hopefully, invite me back on the show sometime. I'd love to come back. Definitely, yeah. I'm planning on something huge with a couple of things. So you're definitely one of the people I'm going to keep in mind for that one. But again, everybody, thank you very much for watching. I really hope you like the background. You literally have the person right there to thank for that one, Mr. Sean. It's, 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 I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Thank you very hey, much. And there's lots of, th lots of things we didn't talk about. My love for reggae music, Bob Marley, you know, great guy. I played soccer with Rod Stewart one time. We'll have to talk about that. And uh, there's all kinds of things. UFOs. I'm really big into UFOs. I'm a uf ufologist. <laughs> exactly, that's topics. exactly why we'll get you on for part two. That's exactly why. Right. <laughs> that's exactly why. All right, my friend. Best of luck. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And to the audience out there, we'll follow us up to Coach TV. Bless up, my friends. Thank yeah, you. Thank and thank you again, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe, and I'll see you all later. Thank you very much. You've been listening to In Kyle's Convo. <laughs>